Now, I dropped the microphone like seconds before I came up here, so I hope I didn't mess it up. Um, I tend to do that. Uh, my name is Bronwyn, and like Pastor Shell said, I'm from Davis, California, University Covenant Church. My family, um, they're like, yeah, my mom's preaching, but you know what's even better? There's a dog in this church, so uh, they're excited about that. Um, I work in the children and youth department, and actually our department is going through a little bit of transition as well. So right now I have the longest job title ever. Uh, my job title is pastor, comma, director of inclusion and breakaway summer camp, comma, interim youth pastor, period. Um, sorry, I think I messed you all up on the thing here. Um, so that is what I do, among some other things. Um, I'm here with my family. Uh, we stay in Kalihi. Um, my husband, his best friend from high school, married someone from Oahu, and they said, you know what? We have a house that people don't use in the summer. Will you sacrifice and come? And we said yes. So uh, we have had the good fortune of coming uh, for the past couple summers, staying over to Kalihi, going around the island. One of my favorite things, uh, last night my husband and I, he said, if you had to rank the beaches we go to from, you know, one to five, what would you do? And I said, is that a joke? I don't know. They're all so good. Um, but we tend to like uh, the windward uh, beaches, but we were like everything here. Uh, people of uh, Oahu are so kind, so generous, so welcoming. Um, and I know I'm coming here. I asked God, why am I here this week in the midst of this enormous tragedy that people are facing? And if y'all hear nothing else today, Wellspring Covenant, know that you are part of a network of churches that is much bigger than just Hawaii. We are part of the Evangelical Covenant Church, this church, my church, and Davis University Covenant. And I've seen on social media all throughout this week, Pastor Rebecca responding to pastors saying, Rebecca, how are you doing? How are your people doing? How is Punya Covenant over in Big Island? How are they doing? We love you. We are praying for you. What can we do to support you? So please know that you are deeply loved by people that are thousands of miles away, but do know that you are deeply loved. So yes, so if I am here for no other reason but to communicate that, um, I have done my job. Um, like I said, we are here on vacation. Um, it's a wonderful place to be, um, but I wanna hear from you guys, people who actually live here in a place where people go vacation. Uh, if you were given a free vacation, to go anywhere, where would you go? Now, talk to the people around you, next to you, in front of you. Tell them, where would you go? Where would you go? I, I am so curious where we're going. All right, sh shout it out. Where where would you go? Shout it out. Where would you guys be going? So, oh, okay, my kids said they're coming to Hawaii. Okay. Where else are we going? Where? Scotland, Denver. Wow. Wow. Texas. Japan. Oh, no, did you hear that? Japan. New Zealand. Yeah. You know, and y'all are a little bit closer to the, the Japan, New Zealand than I am over in California. You got a head start. California, you know, that's where we live. I go vacation there. So my first time in Oahu actually was when I was eight years old. 
That was my idea of like where I would really want to go on a free vacation. And my grandparents came through. They said, hey, family, do you guys want to go to Oahu? And we said, yeah, we do. Um, so I was eight. We came here. Uh, we flew from Los Angeles uh, over to Honolulu. And the first day, things are great. We're getting our hotel, getting everything unpacked. Things are wonderful. We have this gigantic uh, hotel we're staying in. We could overlook the beach. It is great. So the second day we are here, we go to like this brunch kind of thing at the hotel we were staying at. And my eight-year-old self eats about three of these, right? Maybe four. I had more pineapple in 45 minutes than one person should have in an entire lifetime. And what my eight-year-old self didn't know was eating that much pineapple in a really short amount of time was a bad idea. Things were not going to go well. About an hour after I ate all this pineapple, my mouth was on fire. Um, all that wonderful, juicy pineapple acid had completely just torched my mouth. So I was a little bit unhappy, and I thought, mm, this is not a good start to this vacation. Uh, but we were going snorkeling next, which was going to be delightful. So we go, I don't even know where we went, um, with some tour group that probably cost my parents tons of money. We went, and we get on the snorkeling gear, and I get in the water, and it occurred to me, that if I was in the water, that I'd be with the fish and the plants and the coral. And I did not want to do that. Um, I got in there and these fish are coming around me. I'm like going against these plants. They're all slimy. I jump out of the water and I'm on the shore. My dad says, Bronwyn, let's go. Let's get in. I'm like, no, I won't. I'm not coming in. He said, no, Bronwyn, let's go. And I'm just there. No, I do not like this. I do not want to go. So I didn't go. Um, I missed out. I didn't go snorkeling. So that's the second day. Things have got to get better, right? They did not. Um, the third day, my family says, we're going to climb Diamond Head. Now, I was the oldest cousin at that time. I was eight, so my sister was six. My other cousins were like, I don't know, infants? I'm not sure. But somehow Diamond Head was what we're going to do. And we get there, and we're ready to go up the mountain. And I pull over right at the visitor center. I just start throwing up. I did not feel good. So I start throwing up. So my family climbs Diamond Head. Someone stays with me. And I remember being there on the side of, of the road there, Diamond Head, thinking, I want to go back home. I do not like this place. This is bad. My mouth is on fire. I had to go with creepy fish and plants, and I'm throwing up at the bottom of like a national monument. I want to go home. And you know where home was for me at that time? Um, has anyone ever been to Fresno, California? Anyone? Okay. Oh my gosh, there's three people in this room, four people. Wow. Okay. So I am from Fresno, California originally. And let me tell you guys, Fresno is not a bad place. I have lots of family and friends there still. But Fresno in the summertime is like living on the surface of the sun. It, yes, amen. It is so hot. There are no trade winds. There is no delightful windward beach to just lounge around in and eat your candy and sodas and whatever you've been doing. No, no, no. And it also kind of smells like manure there. Um, and in the summertime, that's really amazing. That's where I wanted to go back to. There I am in Waikiki, in Honolulu, in this beautiful place. And I'm sitting there saying, I'd rather be back in Fresno. And this is where we pick up Moses in Numbers chapter 11. And Pastor Rebecca preached on that last week, where here's Moses with the Israelites who've been led out of Egypt. They were literal slaves in Egypt. And here they are in their post-Egypt life. And they're becoming whiny and impatient, and saying, you know what, Moses? You know what, God? Egypt isn't so bad. 
compared to what we're doing now. That's like me saying, you know what? I'd rather be back in Fresno than on Oahu. The people were going tired of this post-Egypt life, and Moses, their leader, rightfully, was losing his mind. Probably felt like my parents on vacation um, when I was like, no, I will not go snorkeling, no. Uh, Moses saying, God, these people are the worst. I would rather die. I'd rather be dead than have to lead these people for one more minute. Oh my goodness, Moses, how dramatic. So Moses and the Israelites, picking up in verse 18 of this chapter in chapter 11, they present God with three things. Their ungratefulness, their ignorance, and their doubt. And God addresses each of these. And he's pretty clear and pretty direct. So let's take verse 18, their ungratefulness. So Moses says, God, I'd rather die. I can't handle these people anymore. Please choose a new leader. And God says this. He says, Moses, say to the people, purify yourselves. That's like biblical for buckle up. Let's go. For tomorrow, you'll have meat to eat. You were whining and the Lord heard you when you cried. Oh, for some meat. We were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat and you will have to eat it. So despite their ungratefulness, God is able to provide for them. This reminds me of, if you look in the Old Testament in 1 Kings, the story of another leader of Elijah. Elijah is literally running for his life and he finds this tree and just collapses under the tree in 1 Kings. And he prays too that he would just die. He's like, God, I'm over this. Can I just be dead and end this all? This is a terrible way to live. And he falls asleep. And then God sends an angel and tells him, Elisha, get up and have something to eat. Like, have a snack. You're getting crabby, right? Have a snack. Eat something. God is providing this for you. So Elijah gets up, he eats, and he drinks. He's able to continue on for 40 days, whereas just before he said, I can't do this anymore. God provides for him, and he's able to continue on for 40 days. And so in the story, too, the Israelites, despite their ungratefulness, God is able to provide. And despite our ungratefulness, God is able to provide for us, too. And verse 19 continues. God's responding to their ignorance. He says, people, Moses, for you have rejected the Lord who is here among you. Like, I am right here. I am right here, guys. I am God, and you are rejecting me to my face. And you've whined. And in verse 20, he says, you know what? I'll give you so much quail to eat that you're going to have quail, and some of the translations say, coming out your nostrils. Now, that's probably what my pineapple situation was like. You know, at the beginning, it was great to have all that pineapple that I was really hungry for and I wanted, but I had so much of it, it started to be a bad time. Despite their ignorance, God is able to provide. He got rejected. The Israelites rejected God when he was right there in front of him. He had been there. He had carried them out of Egypt. This whole thing across the Red Sea, they're running, they're running. The Red Sea parts, they go through, and the Red Sea collapses over the army chasing them. God did all that, but the Israelites still rejected him. In their ignorance, they rejected him, but God still able to provide. And you know what? When we reject God, despite our ignorance, 
God is still able to provide for us. So uh, God has given uh, Moses some pretty specific instructions to go back to the people with. But verse 21 starts my favorite part of all this. When God addresses their doubt. So Moses hears this and he responds to God. He says, Lord, there are 600,000 foot soldiers here with me. Yet you say, I'll give them meat for a whole month? Even if we butchered all of our flocks and herds, would that satisfy them? If we caught all the fish in the sea, would that be enough? He's kind of like, God, do you understand math? Do you know how math works? Do you see all these people? How in the world are there enough quail, enough meat, enough sustenance for all these complaining, whining people that I can't stand anymore? God, do you understand how math works? And then God says this to Moses. It's delightful. He says, has my arm lost its power? Or in the NIV translation, is the Lord's arm too short? Like, do you not think that I can do this? Have you not taken stock of everything I've already done? I am with you in this. I am with you. I am here. And do you not think I can do this? Despite their doubt, God is able to provide. Think about in the New Testament in Luke chapter 5, when Simon is fishing and he's catching nothing. He's been really unsuccessful. And along comes Jesus. And Jesus tells them, Jesus tells him to cast his net to the side. And Simon uh, also does a little bit of math uh, calculations and said, you know what, God, I don't think you understand this. I think you understand I've caught nothing. And now you're telling me to cast my net to the side. So Simon casts his net and it says in Luke 5, when he pulls in the net, it is filled with so much fish, so much fish that the nets are breaking. Despite our doubt, God is able to provide. So God, remember the creator of heaven and earth, who led the Israelites out of Egypt, who gave his son Jesus to take on our sin, who promises to restore the world to a new heaven and new earth at the end of the age. That God, you and I are under the care and provision of that God, the most powerful God, who is gracious to us, even in our ungratefulness, our ignorance, our doubt. God is gracious as provision of love, of justice, and of mercy. God stays with us even amidst all of our complaining. Now, if you're a parent, you kind of understand what we're talking about, right? Amidst all the complaining, God stays with us. Now, if you read on in Numbers, you see what happens. You say, "Woo! wow, God's a mean God. What happened there? No. God is showing the people just how powerful he is and just how able he is to provide. God is able to provide. Despite us, despite us, God is able to provide. Despite our ungratefulness, our ignorance, our doubt, he is present with us and remains gracious in his provision, love, mercy, and justice. And I've talked for a hot minute here. I'd like to hear from you all. Uh, in my youth group and Summit, uh, we, our youth group is called Summit, our high school ministry. And we do this periodically, and it's so delightful and fun and wonderful. Um, we ask the question, where has God been at work in your life lately? 
and we sit just like this. We ask the question, where has God been at work in your life lately? Where has God already provided for you? And so I'm going to ask that to you, my friends, here at Wellspring. Where has God already provided for you? Take a minute to think about it. If you feel comfortable, just go ahead and shout it out. There are no wrong answers. Where has God already provided for you? A new space to land. Yes, thank you for having me amidst all the transitions. Moving is terrible, I understand. Yes, a new space to land. How else has God already provided for you? Where have you seen God at work? Retirement. That sounds great. Thank you, Nathan, for sharing. We have a new space. Retirement. Yes, Noah. God has created everything. You're right. In creation, we get a lot of wonderful views of creation here on the island. Where else? A few more people. Who else has got a good students? Yes. Look at all you students. I love it. It's, it's awesome. Are you a teacher? Did you start just now? The recently? Throughout school year? Good. Two weeks in. Awesome. Love that. What grade do you teach? Seniors. Seniors are great. Mostly. They're great so far. Two weeks in. Great students. What else? Maybe one or two more people. Where else has God already provided? Mia. God has provided for you in your heart. I love that. That's kindergartner answer right there. I love it. That's, you know, kids have such a way of saying the truths of God in a way that sometimes I think as adults, we sort of miss a little bit. We overlook. God has already provided for us in so many ways. So when we get to these points, right, of ungratefulness, of ignorance, of doubt. We don't have to be like the Israelites and Moses and say, God, you're never going to show up. God, do you understand math? This is not going to work. We don't have to be like that. Say, God, here's where you've already shown up, and I could have every faith that you will show up again and provide again. So I question, is there a circumstance in your life where maybe you're like Moses and the Israelites, and you're saying, God, I don't know. I don't know if you're going to show up. I don't know if you're going to give me that new job. I don't know if you're going to give me enough money to repair my car. I don't know if you're going to repair that relationship that's broken. Is there a circumstance we are doubtful that God will provide? And if there is, I encourage you to believe that he will. If you look at this story of how God addresses the Israelites and of Moses, and this really dark and troubling time for them, where they felt like the bottom was just taken out, their stability was gone. Being slaves sounded like a better life. I challenge you all to say, God, you can provide, you are able, and I will rest in the knowledge that you are able. Let's pray together. God, thank you that in the midst of darkness, of struggle, of pain, that you provide. 
God, despite us, despite our ungratefulness, our ignorance, and our doubt, God, you are able to provide. That your arm is not too short. That your arm did not lose power by us complaining. God, I pray that those spaces in our life, we are just not sure that you're going to show up. I pray that we would be sure. I pray that we look back on the things in our lives, the ways you have provided, big ways, small ways, daily ways, God, that we would look and say, you are able. God, I pray for this congregation today and congregations all throughout the island of Hawaii. I pray for a sister church over on the big island. I pray for our Pacific Southwest Conference Evangelical Covenant churches, God. I pray that we could come together and support one another during this time. In Jesus' name, amen.